Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, Pastor Brandon will be continuing on in our Advent series called Behold Your King. The name of this sermon is called The King of Peace. Pastor Brandon will be preaching from Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. Let's join Pastor Brandon now. Good morning, everybody. So it was... Uh, back in December of 1980, uh, I was I was in eight years old. Um, I was in the third grade, and I had had it up to here with the Carter administration. Um, I have always been a a, a, a news geek uh, ever since uh, my even back when I was in kindergarten. I was interested, fascinated by uh, the news and current events. And uh, for more than a year, I had been hearing these uh, news stories uh, on a nightly basis about how there were over 50 Americans who were being held hostage uh, over in Iran. And I was as an eight year old fed up with the Carter administration's inability to get our people back home. And as 1980 was drawing to a close, and the more that I had been thinking about this, I became increasingly convinced that I had figured out a way to put the Ayatollah Khomeini in his place and to get our people back home. Now, by, uh, by this point, uh, Ronald Reagan had, uh, had won the 1980 presidential election. He, uh, he defeated President Carter, and it was during uh, Christmas break of 1980 that uh, I set aside some time one day to uh, write a letter to the president-elect in which I respectfully invited him to consider my 13-point plan for bringing these hostages back onto U.S. soil. And the plan unfolded as follows. Plans for invading Iran. One, when troops leave Washington, D.C., it will be 12 p.m. noon. In Iran, it will be 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. You see, Iran is divided into two time zones, and I thought the leader of the free world needed to be aware of this. Secondly, Cross Atlantic Ocean in Air Force planes or in Navy submarines. Three, go into Mediterranean Sea. Four, cross into Bosporus, which is in Turkey. Five, go into Black Sea. Six, and this got a little bit cut off, but apparently I was suggesting that we begin the amphibious assault uh, by walking right along the border of Turkey and the Soviet Union and Iran because, you know, if you walk along that little line, you don't have to worry about getting into other people's country and territory. So, so you walk along that. Seven, invade Iran. Eight, get into Tehran. Nine, free the hostages. Ten, Get out of Iran as quickly as possible in Air Force planes and Navy submarines. 11, take the hostages back to their families. 12, have a celebration. And most importantly, to wrap up, 13, avoid getting into war with Iran. There you go. Easy peasy, right? You do what's right. You do what's fair. You keep the peace along the way. And... Everyone lives happily ever after. If only it were that simple, huh? (laughs) Whether it's uh, in 1980 or in 2020, 
or at any other point really in human history ever since the Garden of Eden, we as humans have been in search of peace. And it's much more than the peace of just just everyone getting along with each other. We're we're talking about a search for, uh, for, for harmony. We're talking about a desire to see things just be in order. We want the world to be all that it should be. We want to have everything around us, and we want to have everything within us put in its rightful place. As humans, we have been trying, uh, with certainly limited degrees of success, to find this type of peace and to experience this type of peace both around us and within us. It, it, and the best of circumstances, it's elusive. And at the worst of times, it seems like this is impossible. But this is where we find ourselves as we enter uh, into this second Sunday of Advent because we want to remind ourselves today that Jesus was born into this world to be the Prince of Peace. Jesus came to restore harmony and order into all of God's creation, including and especially the lives of the people that are created in his image. And I was thinking, even as we were focusing last Sunday, uh, the first Sunday of Advent on hope, uh, I think that this year here in 2020, that there is a hope for peace that is felt more strongly than ever. We believe as Christians that only Jesus can ultimately bring this peace. So if Jesus can bring this peace, well then, where is it? You know, people, we, we, we look around ourselves, we look within ourselves, and instead of peace, uh, we see unpeace. We see anti-peace. We see non-peace. And it's happened over and over and over and over again uh, here in 2020, hasn't it? And even for those of us who truly believe in our minds and our hearts that Jesus is the one true source of peace, uh, there can be times, if we're being honest, that we're wondering why there is such a disconnect between what we know is true about Jesus and what we're seeing or what we're experiencing all around us and even within us. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open to Isaiah chapter 9. It's in the Old Testament, and the passage that we're looking at today just has a lot to say to us about Jesus as the Prince of Peace. It's got so many unique applications if we look at this passage in its context for the lives that we find ourselves living here in this day. As we study this passage this morning, I hope that we'll all come away reminded and encouraged that peace delayed is not peace denied. Isaiah 9, let's uh, let's pick up here at verse 1. This chapter actually starts out on a very hopeful note. Uh, Isaiah writes, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. And this verse is talking about gloom and anguish. What's it referring to? Well, if you go back up to the end of chapter 8, 
you find that God's people are in the midst of experiencing consequences for their sin. But even though people may be in anguish for a period of time as they are really reaping what they have sown, God is promising here at the beginning of chapter 9 that his grace and his mercy are on the way. Continue on in that verse, it says, In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So Zebulun and Naphtali, those are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. And these tribes uh, were given land in the northern part of the promised land. But the country, Assyria, that was bringing God's judgment, the instruments of God's judgment upon God's people, they were located even farther north yet. So as this northern country, Assyria, would come down from the south, you would have regions like Zebulun and Naphtali. They would experience the initial brunt of the forces of these foreign invaders. But Isaiah here in chapter 9, as chapter 9 follows, he's speaking of a time when this is all in the rearview mirror. Because he says, in the former time, he brought into contempt. But now in this latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea. Continue on in verses 2 and verse 3. It says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And what's happening here in these first three verses, and again as we pick this up from the end of chapter 8, what once had been humbled is someday going to be exalted. What once was covered in darkness, someday they're going to be given a shining light. What had been diminished, someday it's going to increase. What was gloom, someday it will be joy. And if I'm in Isaiah's original audience, and I'm hearing these words prophesied, this is starting to get my juices flowing inside of me. I don't want darkness and gloom. I I want light. I want joy. I'm hearing this. I'm I'm starting to sit up straight in my seat. I'm saying, tell me more, Isaiah. What's what's this going to look like? Well, that's what he begins to describe here in verses 4 and following. And Isaiah describes this by making three statements. And each one of these statements begins with the word for. Don't skip over that little preposition there. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. In other words, what this is saying is that the Lord is going to break the power of those who have been oppressing his people. God is going to deal with those who have brought burdens 
upon his people. And in doing so, he is going to bring his people peace. Now, that's not all. Let's continue on in verse 5. Let's peel another layer off of the onion here. It says, For every boot of the tramping, of the tramping warrior in battle tumult. I love that phrase. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Any of you like war movies? You know, or action movies? I've got, I've got good news and bad news here for you war aficionados. The good news for you is that someday what's written here in verse 5, someday this is going to happen. That's going to be real life. It is going to be a sight to behold. But you also need to know that when this happens, it's going to mark the end of war. You're going to have to find some other interest you can get in, 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 into crocheting or needlepoint or gardening, but you're not going to have war as an outlet anymore because how God is going to accomplish what he's doing here in verse 4 by putting an end to the oppression of his people, the way he's going to do this is that he's going to put an end to war, period. War itself is going to be relegated to the ash heap of history. There's not going to be a need anymore for, for military uniforms or for equipment. There isn't going to be any more bloodshed on the battlefield. It's all going to go up in smoke. Because instead, God is going to bring peace to his people, and he's going to bring peace to his creation. And when I say peace, I, I mean peace. Now, again, if I'm in Isaiah's original audience... <laughs> I'm hearing this by now. I'm, I'm almost starting to jump out of my skin. I mean, wondering, Isaiah, how is the Lord going to pull this off? And here's where we get to our third four statement. This is where we really get to the heart of the matter. This is where the plot really thickens, but this is also where things start to get confusing to a certain degree. Verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, Isaiah, let me see if I'm tracking with everything that you're saying here. You're saying that someday the Lord will bring us mercy. Someday we, we have been humbled, but someday we're going to be lifted up. Uh, there has been darkness and gloom, but you're going to turn it into light and joy. Uh, and the Lord is going to do this because he's going to put a stop to his people being oppressed. He's going to put this oppression to a stop by bringing an end to war, period. 
Isaiah, you're saying that at the core of what the Lord is going to do, you're saying that it's a child? Isaiah, you're saying that there's going to be a, a son born, but you're going to call his name is going to be called Everlasting Father? Isaiah, you're saying that there, there, there's a person that's going to be born, but this person is going to be called Mighty God? Actually, you're, you're not saying that this person will be born someday. You are saying that to us a child is born. You're saying that to us a son is given. Am I tracking with you, Isaiah? Am I tracking with you when you say that, that this, this son, father, God person is going to rule on David's throne forever? I mean, do you mean like, like forever, forever? Okay. Isaiah, you're saying that the Lord's zeal will accomplish this. All right. I, I don't get it, but all right. I'll take you at your word. This all sounds incredible. I can't wait to see this unfold. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Introduce me to this child, Isaiah. Where's the child? I'm waiting. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait some more. And we wait till the end of our lives, actually. And then our children wait to the end of their lives. And our children's children wait till the end of their lives. And in fact, we actually wait over seven centuries before one night in the little podunk town called Bethlehem a child is born the son is given and there are people who actually believe that this baby is the prince of peace there are people who actually believe that this is God's messiah what, what Isaiah had prophesied some 700 years ago, it's all going to be coming true. This child is named Jesus, and that name literally means the Lord saves. And this, this child Jesus grows up into manhood, and it's becoming just obvious to everybody around that, that God's spirit is on this Jesus in a way like no one has ever seen before. Look at the, at the miracles that Jesus does. I mean, have you ever heard anybody teach the way that this Jesus teaches? Certainly this, this has to be the Messiah. Finally, the Lord is going to set us free from these oppressors from outside of us. Hey, Caesar, you know what? You're going down because the Lord is going to fulfill his promise that he has made to us. Wait, what? Jesus is saying that his kingdom is, is not of this world? I don't get it. I, what about the promise? 
Read Isaiah 9. There's a promise here, and the promise is supposed to be fulfilled. The promise is the things are supposed to unfold in this way. The Prince of Peace is going to deliver the Lord's people from their oppressors. Maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah after all. Maybe he's not the one who's going to bring us peace. Crucify him. Crucify him. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. When all along, God has been at work to do far above all we could ask or imagine. It's hard to wait on God to fulfill his promises, isn't it? And the waiting can, can be even harder, I found, when, when we are locked in on expecting him to fulfill his promises in one particular way when actually God has a whole host of things that he is looking to accomplish along the way, including being faithful to his promise to us, but the timeline he has for doing these things might not match up with our timeline for seeing him do that one thing that we had been waiting so long for him to do. And for those of us who are Christians, we, we have the benefit of history in one sense. I mean, there are things that, that we understand with the help of the Holy Spirit through, through the benefit of hindsight. But there are other times when we don't have the benefit of hindsight and we find ourselves waiting on God to fulfill his promises, including the promise of peace on earth, whether that's peace around us or peace within us. When the, when the world around us and when the world within us, when it's just in a perpetual state of disorder, it seems like that, that the apple cart of with, around us and within us is just getting perpetually flipped over. We get tired and we get weary and we start wondering, how long, O oh Lord? We find ourselves praying, maybe unconsciously, just saying, enough of the pain, please. Enough of the discord, enough of the strife, enough of the turmoil and the, the factions and the divisions and the wars and rumors of wars and all of that. Jesus, where is your peace? How long, Jesus, before there's no end to the increase of your government and the increase of your peace? You promised this, but when are you going to make good on the promise? The second Sunday of Advent, it looks back to the peace that Jesus made possible through his first coming, but it also looks forward to the peace that Jesus will make possible through his second coming. And just like it was a long wait for people to experience Jesus' first coming, it's a long wait for us now, isn't it, as we wait for Jesus' second coming. Just because we're waiting doesn't mean that God isn't at work. 
we might be waiting, we might be asking, hoping, praying for God to be at work in this way, fill in the blank, whatever it looks like, situation around you, situation in the world, maybe a situation in your lives, and we're waiting, but God is at work in hundreds and maybe even thousands of additional ways because God plans to do something that is far greater and it's far more incredible than anything that we can even begin to wrap our minds around. And somehow God is going to find a way to, to, to weave it all together in a way, kind of like what Ephesians 1 says, that he will work out everything everything, including that one thing that we're waiting on, he will work out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Promises delayed are not promises denied. Peace delayed is not peace denied. I mentioned uh, at the outset this morning uh, the, the hostage crisis in Iran which, which began in November of 1979. A couple of weeks ago, I came across an article written by a man named Todd Nettleton. Todd works with a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. It's, it's, it's a ministry that uh, seeks to uh, call attention to the challenges that are being faced by Christians around the world as they're being uh, persecuted for their faith. And uh, uh, Todd in this article was writing about what's been happening with the church in Iran over the last 40 years or so, uh, ever since uh, the revolution. And uh, I'd like to share with you some excerpts. Uh, from that article this morning, I lightly edited it just for, for readability, but uh, otherwise this follows word for word uh, to some of the observations and the reports that, uh, that Todd Nettleton is hearing from fellow Christians in Iran. In 1979, there was a massive shift in political power in Iran. Uh, the Islamic Revolution put the mullahs, Islamic religious leaders, in charge of the entire nation. They promised a nation run strictly along Islamic principles, treating the Quran as if it was the constitution and placing an imam as supreme leader. Many believe that the end of the church in Iran was at hand. It has not been an easy road for my Christian brothers and sisters there. Pastors like, like Haik Havzepian and Mehdi Dibaj were murdered. Pastor Hossein Sudmant was executed. Every legal, quote-unquote, above-ground church that held services in Farsi, which is the national language of Iran, has been closed. House church meetings are raided by authorities. Christians are interrogated, arrested, tortured, and sexually assaulted. I will never forget a conversation with an Iranian Christian who told me that he and his wife had talked about how she would respond if she were to be arrested and raped because of her witness for Christ. It has not been easy. There has been much suffering. And yet, hundreds of thousands of Iranian Muslims have come to Christ. As the government has become more strictly Islamist, the people became less so. 
Iranian evangelists that Voice of the Martyrs works with estimate that nearly three-quarters of Iranians have rejected Islam. As the government became more openly hostile to Christianity, the people became curious about how the gospel could be such a quote-unquote threat. I have Iranian friends who point out that the Ayatollah Khomeini, the face of the Islamic Resolution, drove so many people away from Islam that he was the greatest force for propagating Christianity in the history of Iran. Forty years later, these pronouncements from 1979 about the end of the church in Iran seem laughable. The fastest growing church in the world is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. And more Muslims have come to Christ in Iran since the Islamic Revolution of 1979 than in all of the other roughly 1,400 years since the advent of Islam. Now we hear that story here in 2020, and praise God indeed. Our, we hear this in our response, like, wow, isn't God incredible? Isn't God powerful? Isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? Look, look how God keeps his promises to work all things together for good. Look at how God can use anything and everything to advance the gospel. Well, let's say it's 1982, and you're an Iranian Christian. That's your pastor who's been murdered. Or it's your dad, or it's your husband who's been executed. Or, or it's your, your wife or your daughter who, who might get kidnapped or, or worse. And all along, you have known that there is a very real, clear present threat and danger and you have been praying for God to watch over you for him to protect you for God just to make his peace a reality you've been asking for God for his kingdom to come for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven but instead people around you are losing their lives because of their faith in Jesus are you struggling at all in that moment Are you struggling in that moment with reconciling how God's promises just don't seem to be squaring up with the reality of, of, of life around you? Can you think of a time just even in your own life, maybe something right now, where you're struggling with trying to understand why God's promises just aren't squaring up with the reality around you or within you. It's in these moments that, that you, that we have to remember that sometimes we have to wait on God's promises to be completely fulfilled. Promises delayed are not promises denied. Peace delayed is not peace denied. And sometimes the promise may even, it may not even get completely fulfilled in this life. At least as it relates specifically to our part of the situation, but remember that there is still a world to come. God 
will be true to his promises. Even if the way that he keeps those promises might be different than what we had hoped for or what we had expected or asked for. Maybe it helps you think of it this way. Think of the people who who were standing at the foot of the cross um, as they were watching Jesus uh, suffer in agony, as they were watching Jesus literally breathe his last breath. And keep in mind the setting you have around you. I mean, the, the, the sky had turned pitch black in the middle of the day. Do you remember that? you remember that when Jesus breathed his last breath, that there, there, there was an earthquake that happened in town? And in that moment, it had to have seemed like that there was anything but peace and order and harmony anywhere either around those people or within those people. But it was in that moment when peace seemed the most elusive, when life seemed like it was at its most chaotic, that God was actually at work to make peace the most accessible by making a way for people to be brought back into a right relationship with their creator. And if God can accomplish that personally through his zeal shown on the cross, well then doesn't it stand to follow that we can trust him to be at work in other times too when peace seems elusive? God has a long, faithful track record of being at work through and during and even in spite of times that seem chaotic to us. God is at work in ways that are bringing about peace and order and harmony and restoration here on earth. It's just that it's hard to see that in the moment sometimes, isn't it? Especially when we're smack dab in the middle of the chaos. And I don't know what chaos that you're experiencing uh, here during this Advent season. Maybe you're uh, disheartened right now because, because of the, the unpeace or, or the anti-peace or the non-peace that, that you see around you. And maybe you're discouraged because you have a lack of peace and absence of peace right within your own heart for some reason. It's tough to wait on God to fulfill his promises. Tom Petty got it right. The waiting is the hardest part. But even though we wait on God to fulfill his promises, we don't wait in vain. Promises delayed are not promises denied. Peace delayed is not peace denied. So be encouraged this Christmas season. Jesus was and is and always will be the Prince of Peace. And his first coming has given the foundation for peace by making it possible for you and for me to have our relationship with a holy God restored and brought to a place of order and harmony through the cross and through the empty tomb. And Jesus' second coming is going to bring the fulfillment of peace as Jesus establishes his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I can't wait.
people of Village Church, behold your king. Stephen and Jessica and the worship team are going to be coming forward here in a moment to lead us in a song as we transition into our time of a communion. But as they come, prepare. I want to use the lyrics from a Christmas carol as a closing prayer for us. Kids, those of you you know here watching, this book, this is what we call a hymnal. The Many, many years ago, if we wanted to sing songs in church, we had to look up the words in a book. It was, it was really something. But uh, I want to, uh, want to adapt um, the words from a Christmas carol called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus and to use that as our, our closing prayer for our time in the Word today. Come, O long expected Jesus, born to set your people free, from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel, strength and consolation, hope of all the earth you are, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Born your people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Lord Jesus, now your gracious kingdom bring. By your own eternal spirit, rule in our hearts alone. And by your own sufficient merit, raise us to your glorious throne. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.